like a kid, I bet that you didn't know He wanted to be on TV, they said hell no You better stick to radio, Mitch Gallo And you're listening to another edition of Montreal's Finest Podcast. This is the podcast where we find either cool people in Montreal or people that are doing interesting things in Montreal and have them either teach you something or inspire you. Today's guest is musician out of Montreal and a good friend of mine, Anakin Slade. Anakin, welcome and thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me, man. Montreal's finest. I love it. I love the I love the name. And you know what? I, I really feel like you do a great job representing Montreal. You do it all the time. Yeah. And that's why you're one of the first names like came up with this idea for a podcast. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna talk to Montrealers. Yeah. And learn more about them. And I'm like, Anakin Slade just bleeds Montreal, so we gotta bring him in. Yeah, it's it's cool. I get a lot of uh you know, people coming up to me saying, Hey, would you do a song about this or would you represent this brand or that stuff? And and like usually I say number one most important thing, if it reflects well upon the city, then I will I will do it. You know, like, you know, if the Alouettes want me to do a song, even if I'm not the hugest CFL fan, you know, if if the time was right and all that stuff comes together at the end of the day, I'm putting my city on the map in some way. If I know that that is the end goal. You know, it's not the end goal to, like, promote the CFL or even the Alouettes. The The goal is to promote Montreal as a city because that's what I believe in. We'll get to the sports stuff in a second. Let's, yeah. let's, let's go back to where it started for you. Yeah. Okay, so give me your first musical memory. Oh, God. My my first musical memory is actually uh, really, really, it's, it's interesting how it all progressed because I started as an actor. So I went to Dawson College. I did the three-year professional theater program. I never thought that I would ever do anything else except be an actor. That's the only thing I actually have ever studied. So uh, when I got out of school, I ended up doing a bunch of theater and stuff like that. I started my own theater company, relatively successful. We won awards. Um, I ended up moving to New York for two years, right around 9-11. So that's a whole other story, but I was there for that whole thing. So it was a good time to uh, start my career when the city almost blew up. Uh, But... At the, at the same time, I was running around trying to produce theater in off-Broadway scenarios and stuff like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, theater sucks. Like, in terms of, you know, it's it's artistically even, I, I realized it was limited. Because at the end of the day, you are a pawn. You go up there, you are told what to do, you're saying somebody else's lines and all that stuff. So I never felt like I was really expressing myself. And uh, also, it sucks because there's no money in it. You know, I was doing free plays in New York for the first year. And you run out of money really fast when you live in New York. So at one point, I had to I had to think about either coming home or trying something new. I'm going through uh, what is called Backstage Magazine down there, which is basically open auditions for anybody who doesn't have agents or whatever. Yeah. So I see in this theater magazine, new hip-hop label looking at new artists. So I used to use hip-hop as a way to warm up. Like before I went on stage, I would do like Wu-Tang raps. I would drop like, oh, you know, yeah. atomically. Like I would like <laughs> right before I went on stage, I'd be like, atomically, Socrates philosophy, like get myself pumped up, you know. And uh, I also used it for vocal exercise because rap is you if you if you do it fast enough, it really warms up your lips. It warms up the back of your throat. It does all the things that you're supposed to do when you're doing live performances. Sure. So I use that. And so I'm like, and then I started doing little raps on the side. I would write like 16 bar raps, probably horrible, but presentable at the time, you know? So I'm like, whatever, what do I got to lose? 
I got nothing going on here. Uh, I'm doing free plays. Let me just go in here and see if these people are serious. So I go to Jamaica, Queens, in the heart of Jamaica, Queens, which was basically the hood uh, at that time. I don't know what it's like now. And I went everything's in. Everything's Oh, it's so gentrified, yeah. <laughs> the place I was living in Brooklyn at the time uh, now it's is. super trendy. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's like I went there a couple of years ago, and I was like, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. And so probably the same thing in Jamaica, Queens. And so I went out there and I auditioned. I was the put it this way: I was the only white guy in the room. And I walk in. My hair was long at the time. I had it up in a ponytail, and I dropped these just like these sixteen bars. And dudes and the label heads were like pounding on the walls. They were so excited, you know, because I guess they didn't expect me to have anything. And I had some pretty nice bars. And they basically signed me. Signed. I put that in quotations to uh, this label, and we recorded songs. It was the first time I'd ever done that. I had a guy producing me who had worked with Wu-Tang and a bunch of people before. And I was like, this is pretty cool, actually, being in New York, working with these guys who are, you know, have worked with some decent people. They made me a bunch of fake promises, like, one day we're going to get you on with Wu-Tang. And I was like, oh, my God. Back then, I was still naive about how it all worked. And we recorded these tunes, which were decent. And it was kind of like the best thing that I accomplished when I was in New York. So I head back to Montreal, because I'm poor at this point. Uh, realizing that they were pretty much a scam because they were charging for studio time. So they were basically putting me up just to, you know, whatever, just to to feed me some false promises. But it was a great experience. And I went back to Montreal, and the first thing I did was look up in the Montreal mirror at the time or whatever, like if anyone was looking for musicians. And I found a guy who I still work with today. He was actually at the game last night with me. I was at the Impact game. And he was with, I got him tickets to come. And we still work together. And we recorded our first songs in Montreal. And some of those are still on Spotify. So you're how old at that point? At that point, I must have been early 20s because I'm I'm 40 now. So uh, that was like 2003. Okay, so you're going on like 20 years. Oh yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like from from the from the beginning of actually recording music, it's 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 pretty much it's almost 20 years. Yeah. So when when did, when did you first have a an interest in music though? Like was that something that was because uh, obviously you mentioned your theater background, right? You like the performing arts, yes. So were you always did you always gravitate to music even though you weren't necessarily rapping? You yes, know? yeah, absolutely. Like uh, you know, I guess I should have. I guess your question was more direct in the sense like where did the first musical experiences because I did have before where I went through my phases when I was young. So I went through a, you know, when I was a kid, I discovered the Beatles. I discovered like Billy Joel and like the Eagles and like my dad was big into classic rock. So he had just, a, you know, records everywhere. So I would just discover all these things. And uh, actually, if you look at my grade six yearbook, the, you know, when it says, uh, what do they call it? Like a probable destination or whatever it actually says songwriter so i guess at that time i was really into the idea of making music and stuff like that but i never but once i got into high school i discovered film and acting and stuff and so i don't think i ever took it seriously at that point so i kind of put it in the back pocket but with throughout that time i went through my metal phase i went through my hip-hop phase which was the one that really stuck to me maybe because it was in my defining years like i mentioned wu-tang it's like I would not be rapping without my love for Wu-Tang because it was a straight up obsession when I was in high school. Like it was pretty much the only thing outside of girls and and maybe the the Habs and the Expos. The other thing I was thinking about was Wu-Tang. And I think somewhere in the back of my mind, the 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 lyrics and the structures, I was learning it without even understanding it. You know, like sure. I, it was just it was just searing into my brain. I would learn their verses and I would be like without even realizing it, I was learning how to rap. And when people come to me and they say, 
hey, you know, uh, hear my verse or whatever. And I can tell they don't really know what they're doing because I get that a lot. Like people sending me verses and stuff. Can I rap? And I'm like, ah, you're not there. But you know what you should do? Learn your favorite artists and your favorite verses and just do it over and over again in the mirror, in the car. Just learn their verses. And if you have the natural talent, those that you'll learn just by repetition, you know, because I think with music and in all arts, you either have the talent or you don't. That's how I always thought. You know? I, I, I do the same when uh, a lot of people ask me about broadcasting. It's like, right. okay, I want to get into broadcasting. What should I do? I said, practice all the time. Yeah. In your car, in front of the mirror, just do, if you want to do play-by-play, do it in the car, do it watching TV, mimic your favorite uh, broadcasters, yeah. take elements from everybody, practice. Yeah, exactly. Like, like if I was doing what you do, I would probably listen to you, Mitch Gallo, <laughs> and listen to, you know, one of your uh, your sports updates, and I would just mark it down. You know, I would, uh, what do you call it, when you uh, when you just copy what what they're saying and, and just practice it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and see the parts that you do that, like, oh, he's hitting this note harder. He's hitting this word harder. He's pushing this section of the this score or whatever, you know, and it's like, in a way, you can figure it out for yourself. For sure. But, um but the the Wu Tang thing, yeah, okay, because it, it it's, I like how you know about seven years separate us, yeah, and because of that, like we grew up living at a different time with different experiences, even though we're not separated that much by age. Because the Wu Tang thing, you and your brother love them, yeah. I don't quite gravitate, yeah, to Wu Tang like you guys do. So what is this about? I think there. I think like you're wearing the shirt now, man. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, th- that's what's weird. Well, I just saw the documentary of Mike's and Men. I don't know if you've seen it. Showtime produced no. a four part Wu Tang documentary. Okay. You know what? Maybe if you want to sort of understand it a little more, like I don't think you like. So let's say between ninety three and ninety five. How old are you talking now? You yeah. Are. So uh, I'm uh, eight, eight, nine years yeah. old. So, but the thing is, but it's not. Of, so those aren't defining years. Though. I, I you know, know I mean? but the thing about that is. From that era, I knew a lot about N.W.A., yeah. Snoop Dogg, Tupac, yeah. Biggie, you know, Puff Daddy came kind of from there, even though he's more my generation. Yeah. And Wu-Tang kind of got left behind from all those other guys. It, it seemed like to it's me interesting. at that time. It's interesting. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously music is subjective. You, somebody speaks to you or they don't. But look, look 1993, I'm 14 years old. Okay. Right. So I'm already discovering how to be a rebel, how to like uh, understand who I am as a person, understand what stirs me. When you're eight years old, you're still like, you don't understand the world at all. So you're starting to understand things that happen. And there's something about Wu-Tang. Maybe it was the theatricality of them, because that is the major difference between those groups that you were talking about. The theatricality of the Wu-Tang Clan Mm -hmm. and how they took, you know, kung fu movies. Also, I grew up, my dad was a black belt in Taekwondo, so... I was around the martial arts a lot. I went to, I I did Taekwondo when I was around that age. And so I was watching Kung Fu movies and stuff like that. And here comes this group that uses Kung Fu samples. There's eight of them. They all have these multifaceted characters. So the theater comes into play there. Wu-Tang's a very theatrical type group. And the things that they were talking about, you know, Transformers references, which I grew up on. It's like we were part of the same generation, even though they're a little older. So for whatever reason, they spoke to me in a way, I guess, that they didn't speak to you. You know what? And and I say, I say that not necessarily meaning they didn't speak to me, because actually there are two members of Wu-Tang that kind of separated themselves from the group that right. I listened to more than just Wu-Tang. Okay. I'm sure you could guess which two. Well, I would say Method Man is one. Yeah. 
Are we talking dirty? Even though he's dead. Well, was was Redman part of Wu Tang? No, Redman's kind of a break off of Wu Tang, but okay. but he got because it was those in. it was those two guys, right? Meth and Red, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they sort of did their own thing. Like, you, when I heard the Rockwaller, I was like, oh, this song is wicked. Like I love this beat, and it was a short song, which also I liked. Right, but but you see, that song is very un Wu Tang. That song, it's because it's it's sort <laughs> of it, it's got this bouncy thing going on, and Wu Tang were very like you know like they're they're. They're so street that their 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 beats and shit. They sounded like they were like pots and pans, you know. Like the the drums is like RZA like banging pots and pans, you know. And there's the echoes, and it's all done in the chambers. They called it, you know. So it was very very street. And 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 Rockwilder's very well produced. It's great for a club, you know. But you but Method Man, his voice and his flow, like that's like as good as hip hop gets, you know. Yeah. And then you got the rest of the clan that that they're just. I mean, I don't know. Like, I got the chance to work with Inspector Deck, so, um, and he's one of the kind of less famous members of the group. Yet he was probably one of the most important because, like I was saying, I bomb atomically that song. He led off all the greatest Wu Tang songs, and his his verses are as good as hip hop gets. Like, technically, uh, performance wise, like any any rap head will see Inspector Deck as this like sort of god of the technical art of rapping in the same way like Eminem is you know Eminem is like technically is probably the greatest rapper of all time because he's so precise and so creative with his bars and the way he flips things yeah but Inspector Deck is a bit on that level as well and so i don't know i i i again music is about what how it speaks to you and i was in that moment of time where Wu-Tang just touched me in my soul and I just followed everything that they did. And I think that documentary kind of shows a little bit more why. I think, they're, uh, I think they're doing the Ottawa Blues Fest. Well, they're doing here. They're doing oh, the, Laval. Okay. They're doing Place Bell with Public Enemy. Who are, oh, they're, I, doing, they're doing Place Bell. Yeah, they're doing Place okay. Bell. Wu-Tang, Public Enemy, and De La Soul. I kind of want to go to that. Yeah, you have to go. Uh, Public Enemy, which is my second favorite hip-hop group of all time. So I got basically my number one and two there. So, um, but again, Public Enemy, theatrical. They had something to say. They were political. They, they, they felt like they had, there was a purpose for them, you know, those things. Like, I love NWA, and I think there was a purpose for them as well. But, at, but when you listen to them on the surface, it's a lot of swearing, and it's a lot of, like, you know, uh, dirty talk, and, like, it's kind of shock, shock music. And so I think part of me was like, yeah, I, I like it, but I don't I, – it doesn't speak to me as much because I was just like – I wanted to think on a different level than that. You yeah, know? and and I think for me it was kind of like a, like a trickle down effect more than anything uh, when it comes to those guys because right it's you you, you follow the spider web basically yeah. and I grew up when Eminem like just blew right he blew up and I remember I was in I think it was grade seven and the kids walking around school going hi my name is my name is I'm like what the hell does this kid keep saying that for <laughs> and then eventually I see the music video and then. Uh, a couple years after that, the Marshall Mathers LP comes out, One and of then best ever. and then exactly, yeah. and he's actually you know he's he's featured on uh, on Dr. Dre's album That's right. with two thousand one, uh, yeah, two thousand one. So then you you find out about Eminem, then you see him do the song with uh, Dr. Dre, yep. then you listen to the Dr. Dre album, and then he has all his crew on his album with him, yep. and then you follow the spider web down, and eventually you get to N.W.A., yep. where for me, I guess, outside of Method Man, there was no real way of trickling down and finding out about Wu-Tang the way I did the other guys. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a, I know exactly what you're talking about, because for me, Ice Cube was actually one of the first guys that really touched me. You know, like Public Enemy, when they came out, I, my brother was super into Public Enemy. I wasn't as much at the time. And then I heard Ice Cube for the first time. I'm like, this guy's voice, his intensity. Yeah. It was during the time of the L.A. riots. So the record he had at that time was called The Predator. And he 
talked about the L.A. riots in ways that I didn't understand. Like he felt he, he was telling you, this is what I live. And he basically saying on that, we're going to go and kill all white people. That's what he was saying on his on his record in a lot of times. And I was like, this is so uh, provocative and so intense. But I didn't see it as an attack on me. I saw it as me trying to understand. Imagine living in L.A. at that time in 1992, rioting around you. You know, you feel like every white person is out to get you. You hate the Koreans because they have the depeneurs and and uh, and all this stuff and all this conflict is brewing. And I just in that world and just trying to understand it. And I was like, this guy is one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. And the trickle down happened from Ice Cube. I went Ice Cube work with Public Enemy a lot. I went to them. NWA, I explored them. Dr. Dre, The Chronic. The Chronic leads you to Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg, of course. And I remember listening to Doggy Style, which is still top five albums of all time. It's an amazing album. Unbelievable. I remember listening to that in my room when I was like 13 years old and I had the headphones on because I didn't want my parents to hear it. You know? And then like sometimes like the headphone jack would come out and it'd be like all these like curse words and like, you know, dirty talk. And then I'd be like, oh, I got to lower the, the, the record, you know, so that my parents wouldn't hear it. Like, that was th- that part I understood too. Like Snoop was like unbelievable. So I understand that trickle down, and that's the beauty of music, man. It's just like you know, Melnick will tell you. Obviously, that's his whole life. He hears one guy, and he gravitates to somebody else, and you get this wealth of knowledge. And then at the end of the day, what happens? You want to see what you can do. You know, isn't it kind of disappointed what it's turned into? It is. It's, it's, it's not the same. No, it's not. But you know what? I try to be a little bit like open minded about it because. You know, even back in our day, you know, there was always the guys who were, you know, like Gangster's Paradise. Okay, it's a great song. It's catchy, even though it's a sample of a Stevie Wonder song. So it's not original in any way. I wanted to do that song with my band because we were trying to throw some covers in. Right. So I'm like Gangster's Paradise. Everybody knows that song. Great idea. Everybody knows that song. It's crazy. Like when I do it live, it's the one song that everybody knows every lyric. But I would and I also do Lose Yourself. So here you got Lose Yourself in one side, Eminem, and then you got Coolio with Gangster's Paradise. <laughs> and you, dude, you could look at the paper. You don't even have to read the lyrics. Just look at the, 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 the thickness of the words on Eminem's and counterbalance it with the simplicity of Coolio's kind of Dr. Seuss rhymes, you know, and you're like, you can understand quality. I show this to my band because they don't understand why I'm, I'm not enthusiastic about doing Gangster's Paradise because it's, it's so simple and it doesn't it doesn't stimulate me in every way in any way and that song was huge when we were growing up you of know? course it was it was huge so i think about it is that any better than i don't know what's an example of now a song that like that you hear it and you're like this is the dumbest thing i've ever heard well you know? okay because you're taking me to where i wanted to go okay. but that's not exactly what i meant when i was talking about music uh, being different now i'm just talking about the uh, the way we discover music oh you know, I see it's, what it's you're not necessarily like you said uh, you grew up and your dad had all these rock albums and yes. that's how it started. And then you're hiding on the earphones from your parents with the albums you want to listen to. And that doesn't exist anymore. No. There's no albums. Everything's digital. You're not getting enough. Like I remember it was the best thing ever when Christmas and birthdays would ro- uh, roll around because people get albums. Yeah. It was a popular oh, yeah. gift. We don't discover music the same way. Dude, there was two like kind of small retail record shops here. In my, I'm actually forgetting their names, which I shouldn't, but there was two of them. Uh, and they had the stuff that New York was coming out with that you basically had to walk Canal Street in New York City to get 
I don't know, some uh, Wu-Tang Affiliates album that, that is only in New York, you know? And there were a couple of them here that you would go in every, you know, like once a week and see, oh, I wonder if there are any new cassettes or new CDs that have come out that are only in New York and they have the exclusive on them here in Montreal. And you would do that like once a week. It would be like a trip. Me and my boys, we would go to Saturday. Saturday, we'd go downtown, go to Sam the Record Man, which is the more commercial one. And then we would go to the one down the street that had the vintage ones, you know? Kids don't do that anymore. There's no. there's no such thing, you no. know. And is it better or worse? Who knows? I guess I guess getting for di- out for discovery, it's worse. It is. I agree because you know Google search, you find something in five seconds. Somebody's posted it to YouTube. If you think there's a rare song, there's rarely a song that I can't find that somebody tells me about. Yes, you know, and the excitement, <laughs> I guess, of discovering exactly. that's missing. That's well, and that's what I'm talking about. And and the other thing about that is, what's going to happen? Everything that's popular is going to get. Recycled. reinforced yeah. reinforced i'd say and what what's the encouragement to go and find the seldom listened to thing like you would go to an album you would go to a record store and look through the different albums be like oh look at this cover look at this album and you'd maybe purchase it yeah. how does that happen with music now it doesn't really you're listening yeah. to what you hear on the radio what you know yeah and and there's also the idea that you know <clears throat> it's sort of a quantity over quality so like if i go on spotify it's like like, where do you start? You know, oh, like yeah. they have these like mixes and, 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 but you see, it's a double edged sword. Like, how do you start? I don't know. You put on a, a, you know, a Spotify mix uh, playlist and you just hope you hear something good. Okay. That's a good point. You know what I, I mean? mean? Yeah. So there's the flip side, which is it's, it's easier than ever to find music. And at the time, maybe it was frustrating. I, I feel like I was probably frustrated a lot because ah, I want this song. I can never hear it. I got to wait to on CKUT with Masters at Work with Ken Dog and Mike Mission and <laughs> wait until they play the song that I want to hear and hopefully catch it on my cassette recorder so that I can listen to it after. You know, I remember doing that. And then the record and then the, your cassettes would like you, you, you burn them so much that they would literally rip the ribbons would rip the film would rip and you'd have to like read tape them and stuff like that sure was that adventurous and fun and it took concentration you you're building i guess skills of like um of like discovery but at the same time it was also a pain in the ass let's be honest you know so i guess you can look at it two ways it's interesting how we look at technology and like we talk about millennials and stuff like that and you know in some ways millennials have skills and qualities that people you know, in Generation X or like me, I guess I'm an Xennial. I'm right in the middle. It's kind of like we didn't have those skills at their age. There's no know? question. There's no question. So you can say all you want. Oh, they're spoiled or they're uh, entitled and all that stuff. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. But in a way, they're also entitled because they're more skilled than we were at that age. You know, so of course you feel a sense of entitlement because you know you have abilities, you know. Um, and so, like, I think you can always look at things two ways, you know. Okay, so let's go where we were almost veering yes. off to. Well, what do you, what do you think of the uh, the whole mumble rap thing? I know Eminem's very hard on it, which I love to hear. Yeah, I, I some lo- of the stuff I like listening to. So I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, I don't listen to that stuff for sure. I, I'm definitely more in the camp of um, I like to, you know, I don't know. I, I was gonna say I like to hear what the person's saying, but I remember when I was a kid, everybody who was older than me would be like, "How do you understand anything they're saying?" You know, I would put Red Man or something on and, you know, I guess my dad or, or people, you know, older than me, like, how do you even understand what they're saying? I'm like, you can't hear what they're saying. But I bet kids now, if you're listening to a lot of it, I guess you can understand. Is it OK? Well, here's my question to you. 
is it a feeling that you get when you listen to that music or is there a, an intellectual like registry because there's there's two ways to listen to music right it's uh, it's totally a feeling it's a feeling yeah and, and that that is a clear definition in how you listen to music sometimes when i want to put on a certain song and i just want to feel I, i have my songs for that if i want to listen to leonard cohen and i want to hear the words that he's saying and i want to hear see the imagery in front of me when the words hit me like like that that's a totally different approach you know bob dylan or or stuff like that where the lyrics are so important and it's the same in hip hop some hip hop artists are for the listener like nas common sense and there are guys now that 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 are similar like logic and um um what's his name Tyler Gambino guys that you listen to and you're like these people are trying to say something to me Kendrick we're trying to get some uh intellectual registry to the music and other guys like I, I'm assuming these mumble rappers because I don't really listen to a lot of it to be honest it's a feeling it's a vibe you know you're 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 driving down the street downtown in your in your your ride and you got the windows down you're hoping some girl walking by passes by and hears it and you're like You know I know my music, right? And you're watching her as she goes by. <laughs> and you know, I've been there. I've done all that what, you know, when I was in high school and we would ride around town and try to look cool in our whips or whatever, you know. But and I'm not saying that's what you do, but I'm saying that's an example of how you feel music. There's no intellectuality to that. It's yeah, a, yeah, it's, there's there's a time for everything basically. Right. And I guess uh, the, the times I'm going to hear that music is either when I'm out somewhere and it's playing. Yeah. Uh because a lot of uh a lot of the, the the trendy bars and clubs play the mumble rap. Yeah. Or uh, before I'm going out. Before I'm going yeah. out, I'm just hanging out having some beers with the guys. We're we're pre-drinking. We're going to go out. We're going to have a good time. It's on in the background. Absolutely. It sounds good. It sounds cool. It has a good vibe to it. Yeah. What's he saying? Who cares? Doesn't really matter yeah. at that point. It's like point. the locker room, right? Like when we're playing hockey and like, you know, we got a big game and we, you know, you and I play on the same team, so it's like, you know, we're we're not like sitting down getting dressed getting into our gear and going out there to be pumped and listening to Leonard Cohen and be like did you hear the imagery in that song it's so wonderful <laughs> so well, who's on D today you know it's like that's that's that it, it's a vibe for sure uh, and you know what's what is good and what is not but there is such thing as standards you know for quality and sometimes i hear that stuff and i'm i'm afraid that the quality now gets put into production so how the the literal sounds okay so it's like if you listen to like like we did the Ariana Grande stuff when i when you first sent me that song and i listened to it i'm like man this is well produced okay because every single sound that you hear it like sears into your brain and it through your ears and right up there and you're like even if this is not technically you know creative it sounds like it's it's almost like fools you it's like You know, it's like uh Well, you know how I'll, I'll hypnotism. Well, you know how I'll explain it because I know completely what you're saying. Yeah. And everything nowadays is meant to be addictive. Yes. Everything that we consume is meant to be addictive. Mm -hmm. The ads we watch, the TV we watch, the music we listen to, the yeah. social media apps that we're on. And listening to that song is basically like somebody posting a picture on Instagram. And it looks perfect because of all the filters and everything you could run through the app. Exactly. It's filters. It's yes. exactly what you're saying. Auto-tune is the musical uh, the musical equivalent of face-tune. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're taking your own face and making it better than it actually is. Mm -hmm. Or quote-unquote better because what, who's to judge that? 
And they don't don't knock my my girl Ariana by the way because she has a fantastic voice. She's I was going to get there. I was going to get there because I didn't want I didn't want to slander her because she's super talented and she raps better in that song than ninety percent of rappers that I'm hearing these days. So I'm not mocking Ariana Grande. She's unbelievable. But even if she wasn't that good, that song, you know, she makes it an A. That song would have been a B with a lesser singer because the production is so. Uh, so ironed and so groomed and auto-tune is like that thing. It's like it turns decent melodies into, you know, candy-coated melodies, you know? And I've been trying. I've been working. I'm, I'm recording my new record, and I'm like, you know what? Who cares what people think? If you can make your song a little better because there's a little candy sprinkled on it, Let's see what happens, you know? And on these new records, I'm working with a guy who works with Carl Wolf, and uh, he's worked with Drake before. He's worked with a bunch of guys. And he pops my recordings into his thing. He starts playing around with it, putting all these filters, and I'm like, man, I don't even sound like me anymore, you know? But I like it because it sounds like candy-coated version of Anakin Slade. Sounds good. It sounds good. And that's and, and in order to compete, you know, with all the candy that's out there, from Instagram to the music to all that stuff... You got it. You got, you know, you got to sweeten your, sweeten your music, you know, so I'm doing it, but it, there is, you know, if you're a purist, because like in hockey and it's sort of like analytics versus, you know, uh, old school kind of like eye tests and stuff like that. There is that conflict because one side is purists and the other side is people who are like, who cares about purity? This is better. You know, again, I can argue both sides. Yeah. See, the argument I would tell you is just what. Look at look at what sells, and if you're an artist and it doesn't bother you, mm-hmm. do what sells because you I'm guys at. are all so starving, man. Dude, I I love music. I I came into it being very much like, no, I want to be political. I want to talk about things that mean a lot to me, and I still do that. But I, I was a purist, and you know, some songs went over really well, uh, and other songs, I'm like, man, if I had maybe spiced it up a little bit maybe this song would have been a hit you know so now i'm at the point where i'm like i'm dropping all that and i'm just gonna i'm gonna make something that's gonna get a million plays on spotify that's what, that's what i'm doing i don't i don't care anymore you know because because at the end of the day if people tell me i like what you're doing and they're they're putting their their money where their mouth is and like streaming it what am i gonna say huh i'm not a purist anymore what, what did i do to myself no i'm gonna be very happy because i'm i'm half success yeah. you know do you uh do you like drake i was gonna get to drake too because uh you know he's pretty much he's the greatest i heard you guys talking on the radio about uh and, and you know what I, I i i wish i was able to explain myself better on the radio than i was able to i think i kind of got across what i was saying yeah but it's it's the type of thing that's really hard to explain well what i was uh, referring to is that when you guys were talking about how that like, people chart how you chart music it was right before i went on the other day and uh, i think mitch asked uh, do is there still billboard and does that matter or yeah, whatever yeah. and there is still billboard but it doesn't matter so the charting is spotify that's charting. So Drake has the record for, uh, um, I think maybe Ariana Grande just broke it. Uh, I with, think she broke it with three different songs on yeah. the last album. Yeah. So before that, Drake's last record was the most Spotified record of all time. So he is at the absolute peak of not only hip hop, of pop music, which in the history of hip hop has never been the case. The top rapper was never the top pop artist. Never. So now Drake has set this kind of new standard. And the the trick is... He's actually good. You know, I don't listen to Drake and be like, 
I don't get what the hype is about. Oh, I totally get it. I'm not going home and, and, and you know, spinning Drake all day. I don't do that. But when I hear his tracks, I'm like, I get it. Dude can sing. He's clever. He's got a good rapping voice. He's He puts variety in his songs. It never gets boring. And on top of all that, the candy's there too. You know, it's produced like 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 a million, like every song is a million dollar production. So what can you say about Drake? Does he speak to me, my soul? No. You know, but I'm sure there's other people out there. You know, The weekend and, and guys like that, it's like, I hear, I'm, I hang out with people sometimes and all they do is like play The weekend all day. And I'm like, again, I hear the talent. I understand why he's famous. I understand why people want to stream it. Does he speak to my soul? No. So you see how, like, there's so many do, complexities. Uh, do any of the new artists speak to your soul? Or, or for that, do you have to go back to what you're listening to when you're impressionable? Yeah. And if that's the case, is it any different than when our parents would do the same with the music that they listen to at their impressionable ages? And are we just repeating the cycle and don't even realize it? We are 100% repeating the cycle. And somebody, I look at myself as a really open person in terms of the arts, but I find myself doing the same thing which is like it's not the same as when i was growing up you know hip-hop's not the same none of these artists speak to me and i've had conversations with other you know i'm really close with uh, dj storm and uh and uh from uh, shades of culture who were basically the the first great montreal hip-hop artist they basically opened the door for everybody and storm we we talk about it and we say the same thing we're like it's not about quality it's about what speaks to you and what doesn't and unfortunately maybe it's a moment to time you know, those defining years again. It's like no one will ever speak to me the way Wu-Tang spoke to me. Is that because they're better than everybody else? Not necessarily. You know, they just caught me in that place in time. What are you? Well, like what happens to you? Like you're 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 not that much younger than me. So you probably listen to music and maybe more than me. And, and you discover artists maybe a little bit more than me. I don't know. I'm assuming that. Like now? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Do you like do you care? Like, I don't know. Well, I listen to so much different stuff and i like to go yeah. see a lot of live music you know i yeah. saw i saw drake and i saw ariana grande in the last year there you go and they're the two top artists on spotify yeah and i don't know if their music speaks to me but i really do enjoy it and i will go home and play their music right but then i'll get in the mood to listen to the stuff i listened to in high school so i'll be listening to eminem and dr dre and snoop dogg uh you're you're a metal guy yeah i was a punk rock right kid growing up you know i'm going to the warp tour in atlantic city sure. in three weeks from now because they have all the bands from back in the day coming back bad religion less than jake blink 182 all those bands are playing at warp tour this year yeah so i'll go back and listen to that stuff but i'll say modern too i don't know so then you're a good you're a good yardstick for this so like what if so, it sounds good i'll listen to it do you say to yourself like ah my shit was so much better i did for a while i don't anymore right how about that Okay, so what do you I, think that is? Just more exploration, more open-mindedness? More like open-mindedness. You're, you're maturing and... Yeah, I'm, I'm maturing and maybe I'm being less stubborn. Yeah. You know? I, I, I had fun telling Mitch this. I don't know if you, you heard this, but it was when we were talking about Drake. And I, I told Mitch, you just don't like it because it's popular. So he's of the he's of the. I'm opinion. like, and then I'm like, tell, give me an example of something that you love that is popular. Yeah. And and also it's it's hard to he has a thing about him Drake he's unlikable to a lot of people so I think that influences people's view of him and you know I kind of get that you know I I I'm of the camp well I'm not of any camp but like I can see what, like doing all that stuff at the Raptors games like I can see how people think that's okay yeah, I want to ask you I want to ask you about that yeah. like his whole sports stuff 
Uh, I mean, I'm sure you can totally relate. Like you'd love to do that. I can relate to the passion, but and and I've been getting a lot of these messages as like about like that I'm the Montreal version of that. But I'm sorry, it's a different person. I have a different personality. There is no way that I would sit on the sidelines and act like that. It's just, it's not who I am. You know, like I'm not gonna. I yeah, you're more low key. I'm, I'm definitely low key and. I think there's an element of it like it's all about me kind of thing. Like, let me give me some of this moment, people. You know, it's there's a bit of desperation to what he does, Drake. But also on this other side, the passion, I'm sure, is I would say like 75 percent, you know, uh, genuine. You know, like I think most of it is genuine. But I think there's the 25 percent, which is like. I want to be seen. I want to be a part of this. I want to be seen as a hero like the players are on the court. You know? I don't know. Like, I know, I know, I, I wouldn't be as harsh on him as people are being, but I also get how, like, you know, chill a bit, son. So you, you wouldn't know? give a back rub to uh, Claude Julien? I would definitely not. I, I said on, uh, I said on uh, Twitter, I was like, well, you know, you won't catch me rubbing Julien's head, you know, even if it means good luck. Cause... I think we have to get a Photoshop. Of you doing that. Yeah. It'd be great. Oh, dude, now if they ever gave me the opportunity, <laughs> I'd be totally on that, you know, because then I'd be like, well, it worked for Drake. Why can't I get some of this, you know? Because yeah. it, it is, is it bad for his brand? You know, think about that. I, I wonder, I thought about this. I'm like, I don't I want... think anything at this point could be bad for yes, his brand. exactly. So I'm, I'm thinking, like, imagine you're Drake's team, okay? And it's the day after now, and you're sitting there. Drake's not even there. And you're like, guys, what do you think about last night? Is this a good or a bad thing? I can't imagine anybody in that room said, oh, this isn't good, guys. No. They're like, people are talking about Drake. People maybe are hating on him. You think that's going to stop his Spotify streams for his next record? No. Remember when they said he got killed by, uh, what? what's that dude's name? Pusha T? Pusha T, who, who claimed that he had the uh, child with the... Uh... Stripper yeah. or a porn star or whatever. It and was. everybody was talking about how Pusher T murdered Drake, killed his career. You'll never see this guy again. It was such a beatdown. I think it was the next week Drake dropped the new record and it broke all the Spotify yeah. stuff. You know, so it's kind of like, like you said, there's no such thing. Timing's yeah. everything. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure that his team must roll their eyes at him sometime. Though. Oh, absolutely. Dude. For sure. Dude. But, but you know, those those are the personalities that, that, uh, that make it in the world, the love hate guys. And I, I swear it's not in me. I'm not that type of person. A lot of people come up to me and be like, man, you totally go against type. That's what I get all the time. I didn't know how you were going to be. I didn't know how to approach you. Cause I, I heard you're a rapper and like, I know how rappers are. And I'm like, I'm just a regular dude kind of person, you know? And then some, and I take that as a compliment, but other times I'm like, man, maybe if I acted more like a spoiled brat or like somebody who thought the world revolved around him, maybe I'd be bigger than I am kind of thing. You mm-hmm. know, I would never do it because I totally get that. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I would never do that because it, it, I can't be disingenuous. Like it's just, even if I tried, it would come off as, uh, as just no one would believe it. It'd be phony. Yeah. So, so I think it's a bit of, of both. Like Drake probably has that a lot of that in him, but he also amps it up because he knows it works for him in some way. And and he and it's probably reflected in his team. We're like, oh god, here he goes again. Yeah. <laughs> so like uh, like Drake, uh, you have that big time uh, love for sports. Yeah. When did when did that start for you? Well, I mean, it's always kind of you know, like I was saying before, like my obsessions when I was young, they were music, uh, film, and uh, and sports. You know, like I was going to Expos games when I was at the same time where I was obsessing about Wu Tang and picking up girls for the first time in my life. I was also obsessing about the Expos and the Canadians. The Canadians were just winning the cup. And, you know, I remember when I was 
in in eighty nine, I was um, I went to camp. I went to day camp for the summer. You know, and uh, the Canadians were playing the Flames in the final, and I was the only, in day camp. You weren't allowed to bring radios, and you weren't allowed to have basically any technology. I'm sure that is not like that anymore. <laughs> but at the time, you weren't allowed to have anything. Sounds nice. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but the Canadians were in the final. Yeah. So I brought a little portable radio, and I was the only one that brought it. So, you know, at night, I would put the, the, the radio on my, you know, whatever, bunk bed thing, and all the kids would gather around, and we were listening to the games every night. And when they lost that series, I was heartbroken man like i i didn't expect to be that heartbroken i like i think i cried i think i was in my my bunk bed and and part of it was because it was like a drakeism thing because i like i was the center of attention because i had the radio you know and it and it and it ended badly so like if the raptors lose this series you know <laughs> drake's gonna be like man this is my moment and they didn't do it and that's how i felt when i was in my my bunk bed and the canadians lost but all that to say like that was at least you got one four years later Exactly. And, and, but that's where sort of, I understood that sports meant more to me than just, you know, I'm sure half of the kids in that room were like, oh, that's too bad. And then go on, you know, with their regular stuff. But I think because of my closeness with my community and my city that I love so much, uh, it, I take it personally, you know, when, when my team loses it, it's, it's not about the sport. It's about us as a city, you know, and, and people tell me about the Raptors. I, I've obviously gotten like three or four offers, like, can you make a Raptor song? And I'm like, and I tell them straight up, I'm like, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And it's not because I don't want them to win or that I, that I have some sort of animosity for Toronto. I just can't, I can't drum up the same passion for the Raptors that I would for, for my own, you know, teams. So go get someone who really means it. You know, like you get Drake to do it. Well, that's the other thing. I'm like, why are you asking me? You already got the great, the, the top artist in the world who's your number one ambassador. You know, you, you don't need me, but everybody's trying to make a buck off this whole thing, you know? Yeah. But, you know, that to say, like, you know, going from the Canadians and then Expos, I grew up watching the Expos because my mother was the travel agency, the travel agent for Seagram's, which is Charles Bronfman's company. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Yeah. So when we were kids, my mom, who knew nothing about baseball, she was a Greek immigrant, and uh, she said, hey, I got these tickets to, uh, to the Olympic Stadium to watch baseball. This is, I'm talking like I'm six, seven years old now. And we get brought to this huge cavernous hole of the big O, and it was probably like second row seats, man. Like, and, and that was like when they still had those like the, the, uh, the, the striped, the, the multi, the red, white, and blue striped uniforms. Yeah, I, I miss that era. Yeah. I, that was my first memory. I remember the the uniforms. I was like, man, they, they, they look they looked like, you know, they look like performers, like circus performers almost, you know. And there's Carter, and there's Dawson, and there's Reigns, and I'm like, it was a good time. So you know, I was lucky to have had that right in my face, and I understood right away seeing the huge crowds and all that stuff because those were the good days. And then I just it just kind of stuck with it. And Carter, when Carter came back in '92, it sort of reawakened my obsession with the Expos because I knew, I understood how important he was to this city. And I knew it was sort of a moment in time to see him come back now and have his last at bat. And it was all heroic. And that was basically, I was, I was hooked after that. That was it. I was an Expos fan for life. You're uh, you're also a little tied to that position too, right? It's not the position you, position yeah. you love. Yeah. I mean, or am I wrong about that? It's you not, correct it's not, me if no, I'm no, wrong. no, 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 not at all. I, I, I meant to say that in a way like, because in my head, I'm like, I never thought this was going to happen. So, you know, like when I did the first Hab songs, 
I knew I felt this is what I wanted to happen, which was I wanted them to be the anthems for those playoff runs. And I thought maybe the Canadians would, you know, acknowledge me, maybe, you know, promote me a little bit. So I thought of it as a business opportunity, you know, and a lot of that happened. A lot of it didn't. I got to play the Bell Center. Uh, I got to, you know, the Rock the Sweater was playing in the 2014 That's awesome. uh, run on the big screen. So I got all that, you know. Um, but with the Expos, when I dropped that Expos track, it was totally just because I, I, I loved them and I wanted to do something as a tribute to them. Do you, th- do you think at the time when I was doing it, I was like, you know what this is going to do for me? This is a business opportunity. There is no business. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course. And so here we are like, Almost, uh, man, almost 10 years, nine years ago, I did the, the Expo song. And now we got this whole movement to bring back the team. And, you know, I'm, I'm, a lot of people ask me details about, you know, the business side of it. I don't know much. I may know more than the average person, but I don't, I've got no secrets for you, you know? Man, you talk about uh, trying to make a song sound really good and addictive. That, ex- that, that first Expo song for me is like, it's like perfection. Yeah. Like for me. Like growing up, first of all, the this week in baseball theme, right away it strikes a chord. Yeah, uh, you have Pedro at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, strikes another chord, and then it sounds good. Yeah, so like I love I love that song, I, and I do see that song as a uh, a sort of like a, it's like a painting, you know, because you're like you were saying that's all the elements. You take Pedro, and then you take the this week in baseball theme, which I've always wanted oh, to. Oh, and do. then of course Dave Van Horn at the end, and Dave Van Horn at yeah. the end, right? Yeah. So, and then you have the. You know, you have the Dave Van Horn call with Marquise Grissom and all that. And those were all things when I was a kid or, well, I mean, you know, the Martinez thing was later, but I, I remembered that, that, that inside the park home run. And I knew that if I ever did something like that and used the clip, I would use that call. Cause I just loved it. And the, this week in baseball, same thing. When I first started rapping, I was a big baseball guy and I was like, one day I'm going to do it this week in baseball rap. Oh yeah. I didn't think about it as the expos. <laughs> I just thought I'm going to flip that sample. And I'm just going to rap about baseball or whatever. And then I was like, when I was thinking of the Expos thing, I'm like, why don't I just use it now? You know, just use that this week in baseball. I I told my producer, just flip it, man. Just loop it and do a standard hip hop beat and I'll do the rest. And, and, you know, I did that song in like less than a week, man. Like it was, it was nothing. Like I didn't even put any thought into it. And I think that's why it resonated because if any of my songs are 100% from the heart with no sugar on it, no lies, no, none of that stuff. No, no posturizing. It was that song. That that is that 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 was as legit as an expression for me that you can get. And people come up to me and they're like, they say the same thing. It's addictive, and I cry every time I listen to it. I cry in front of my kids. Why would you do that to me? It's always older middle aged dudes, but whatever. <laughs> it's not. It's not getting me any girls. Put it uh, that way. Trust me. That's that's the joke I say when I talk about. Doing sports radio all the time. Exactly. It's always the dudes coming up and talking to I me. I know, it's like, right? Great, great. Yeah. Not how you pictured it, right? No. And, th- and that's the thing. It's like with this sports stuff, it's just not how I pictured it, man. Like I, I didn't expect to be at the forefront of this whole thing. People say, you know, you're the ambassador for this whole. There's a bunch of us, obviously. Perry, Perry Giannis does a great job. Matthew Ross has done his parts, you know, uh, and, and we're out there. And it's it's a no turning back type thing now, you know. Like, I just want it to happen. I want to be a part of it when it happens. And when the team's here, I want to be a big part of it also. Like, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I might be Drake. That's when you, you know? that's, that's when that's it's going to be, be appropriate Drake. for you to be uh, Drake. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be like Marlon's guy. You know, <laughs> you're going to see me behind every game, right behind the home plate. You know? That's, that's the way to do it. How many of those, uh, how many of those sports songs have you done? 
Well, the Expos ones, strangely enough, even though they don't exist, I have more than the Hap songs. I've done five. So I did the uh, original one called Remember. I did Kid when Carter died. I did a 94 tribute when the first, uh, when the Blue Jays came for the first time. It's called 94 Fall. Then I did one when uh, Rock went into the Hall of Fame called Tip That Cap. And, oh, no. So, so it's four. It's four. So I did four Expos and three Habs. Rock yeah. the Sweater, MTL Stand Up. Feels like 93. Tip the Cap. I'm in that music video for about... Uh, 0.5 of a second. Yeah, and there's like four of you. <laughs> <laughs> you try to fit in as much Dude, as you could. Ah, uh, yeah. Some people got mad at me because like I barely saw myself. I'm like, sometimes you overshoot, you know. I'm doing another one. It's this... a great idea, though. Yeah, it was a good idea, and it was based on the rock the sweater, which is like kiss the sweater. And so I was like, how can I do that with Expo? So I'm like, ah, oh, tip the cap. And so I'm doing another one this year that is uh, a rehash of Remember, an acoustic version. Uh, and I'm getting a bunch of celebrities to just say uh, happy anniversary to the Expos because it's the 50th anniversary. So it's kind of the same thing now. I'm like, I'm getting a bunch of videos. I'm like, man, how am I going to fit all these guys in there? I didn't know you were working on that. That yeah. sounds cool. Yeah, because we're doing a thing this summer. It's not official yet, but mid-August, there's going to be a 50th anniversary celebration. The city is involved. Perry is involved. Some players are coming down. Um, so I want to have it ready for them. You know, Drake was uh, Drake was able to to do Degrassi and then become a big rapper. Like, yeah. do, you, do you think you'll be able to shed the sports angle to get some notoriety on your other stuff? You find um, that tough? I do find it tough. I, 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 I just, you know, it's, it's tough because it's like, let, let, let me put it to you like yeah. this. Okay. How big a difference on your Spotify streams from your sports anthems to your other stuff? Overall, it's a pretty big difference, except what I don't think people realize is that my number one song on Spotify isn't even a sports song. So there's a song called Loud, which I had in which I put out in 2009 that has almost two million Spotify feels like 93 has 600,000. So it's kind of not even close. Why do you think that is? I think Loud just does a lot of good business in Europe. I don't know how that happened. Uh, I think, see, this is the crazy thing about uh, about music now. What I think happened, and I don't even know this for sure, but one time this dude had this like uh, he was doing wheelie, he was doing wheelies on his uh, on his bike, okay. and he put a video, and it was kind of impressive what he was doing, and he just had my song loud playing on that, and suddenly I started seeing. Where was this dude from? Do you know? Finland. From Finland. Some random dude in Finland. Had your song playing while he was doing wheelies. Okay. And that I think came, (laughs) yeah. And that came from a documentary that used my song that was about bike riding. So this guy must have seen that documentary, heard the song, liked it, took it to use it for his video that he just popped on YouTube. The thing ended up getting like a million views. And then suddenly I saw the Spotify go, and it just spread, man. That's crazy. And now I look at the numbers and like Germany does the most business for that song. Finland is still, it's big. Sweden, like I get all of Europe just bumping that song. And nobody knows it here. You know, only if you follow me really closely do you know that song. So everybody thinks of me as Feels Like 93. If I were to go over there, they'd all want to hear loud. You know, nobody would want to hear Feels I'm like gonna, uh, I'm going to check that song out, uh, out tomorrow when I'm at the gym. Yeah, you'll see. It's almost, yeah. it's two million. It's, it's a chill song. It's like a riding song. I want to you know? hear this. And like, I probably, I, I don't listen to it anymore because I'm, I'm curious to why the Euros love it so I much. don't know. I Honestly, I don't know. It's catchy. Like the chorus, I think, is catchy, but it's not one of my personal favorites even. <laughs> you know? But back to uh, shedding the, or not shedding, because that's not, that's not the right word. Right. But but balancing, you know, people looking at you as sports anthem guy versus you wanting your other stuff out there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, you know, 
it's a bit of a double-edged sword, obviously, as you could imagine. You know, people like what really kills me is when I'll drop a video and somebody on YouTube or something will be like, "This is good, but when's the next Hab song coming out?" You know, it's just kind of like you're not, you feel like you're not getting a, ch- a chance to prove what you're saying, which yeah. is like, I'm not trying to shed it, but I'm trying to get people to understand that. You know, I, I think if you listen to me talk like we've been talking for the past hour, you could understand that my life isn't about sports and the world isn't about sports. You know, so I'm like, if you can just give me a chance, it sounds desperate and kind of lame, but it's like I want to say to them, like, can you just give me a chance and listen to these other songs? Because I think they're good as maybe even better than the sports songs that you say, say you love, you know. And listen, I can't complain because, you know, I'm sitting here in my city and I'm not trying to brag, but like nobody in the city on a hip hop angle has done what I've done from numbers to uh, the kind of um, exposure that I get to, to how I'm known kind of across the country in certain circles. Uh, it's uh, how can I complain what the sports songs have done for me? They've they've got me on Hockey Night in Canada. They, you know, Elliot Friedman's talk about me on the shows and stuff like that. It's like, you know, I'm I'm national because of what I've done. And for me to complain about it would be to uh, take for granted the industry that I'm in because it's tough, man. It's as tough. It's the toughest industry in the world. Don't let anybody ever uh, convince you otherwise because there's so much competition. Anybody and their grandmother now can record a song, you know. So how do you how do you distinguish yourself? And my niche, that's the niche. And hey, look, I haven't made a Canadian song in when was 2014 was Rock the Sweater. So six years. I haven't made a Hab song in, in uh, sorry, five years. You're due. Yeah. <laughs> you see, that's the obvious thing to say, right? I'm due. And it, might, it may happen. But the point I'm trying to make is that w- why is it that people are still talking to me uh, and still gravitating towards me when I haven't really done what I'm famous for in so long? You know, I think it means that there is something there to what I do. And it's my responsibility at the end of the day to try to figure out how to touch people, you know? I can't blame them if if they're not feeling what I'm doing outside of the sports. I just think that some people, you know, they they just put a label on you and it's really hard to shed that label. I'm sure you get it all the time. You know, I'm sure, you know, I don't think people are coming up to you and being like, hey, let's talk about music, Mitch. No. You want to talk about sports, right? Exactly. But you're obviously really educated in music. Love music, man. Right. Love music, love pop culture. Yeah. Love film. That's it. You know, and even us, we sit there and we, we talk shit and we talk about we talk about the haves or whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, I know that you're more than that. And I'm sure that once in a while, if you get five people in a row saying, hey, so what do you think the Habs are going to do next year? You're like, oh, God. Uh, who, you know? who should the Habs go after in free agency? Oh, yeah. And you're like, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm like, it would be really oh, nice. You know what my favorite one is? <laughs> All the time. All the time. So, uh, Mitch, are the uh, Habs going to make the playoffs this year? <laughs> oh, it's like... Yeah, I don't know, man. And then on top of that, you got the like guys who don't know anything, and they give you the most absurd, you know, scenarios. You think if we traded Price, we could get Crosby? You know, stuff like that. You're just uh, like, when you go into the Canadians' locker room, like, who's the nicest guy to talk to? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's not so bad. At it's, least. it's not bad, yeah. but I just you get it a lot. I, I hear bad. it a lot. Yeah, exactly. I hear it a lot. That's yeah. why. So who's the nicest guy? In the- <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Gallagher? 
Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I'll give you an answer. It seems it's, that it's way. probably Gallagher. That's not surprising. But you know what? None of them are. Uh, none of them in that room right now are difficult. No. Now yeah. Shea Weber and Carey Price are tough to get an answer out of. Yeah, they're difficult. But in they're that not. Way. But they're not mean or anything right. like that. Yeah, that's a good group of guys. Uh, all right, we, we're coming up on an hour. Wow. And yeah. uh, Dave's going to kill me if I go too far over. So I just got a few more uh, yeah, for you, and then we'll it. wrap it up. We got to go to a comedy show too. Yeah, that's right. Um, what's going on with the band? So <laughs> I told the guys about it, how I said we'd minimize the band on the show. Did the you like day. my retort that was tonight? A, that was the best. They were dying of laughter, by the way. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, we, we've made some changes and uh, we no longer have keys. And um, it's not about really personalities as much as it is about uh, I wanted to minimize the sound. Because I, I feel like sometimes when we play, it's a bit jumbled you know, and I'm really still learning this live thing. I've only been playing with these guys for two, three years. So it really takes a lot. And when you're rehearsing once uh, every couple weeks, you don't really get a chance to gel. You know, we're all busy. We all have our own lives. Um, so we're still gelling. And it, it's, uh, it's, it's sounding good. We're going to get to play uh, very soon. Uh, and you're going to get to hear the new uh, version of this band. And I, I'm really happy. It, it's weird how when you take away certain things, it sounds fuller. You know, like, because Rosner, my guitarist, can play when you're playing in a, a lot of sounds. I think the instinct to play is like, let everybody else have their freedom as well. But when you know that it's all on you to fill the space, it's a nice, cleaner filling of the space. And Rosner now gets to play more open. And it's helped my vocals because I know I don't have two, three more vocals backing me up. It forces me to give my 100 on every single note. And that I think as a singer I've gotten a lot better because I get to be freer and I, I don't I don't rely on the people who are doing harmonies for me. So it's just you you've simplified is what you're saying. Super simple now. Gu guitars, bass, drums, two vocalists. Dennis will back me up and not even a lot. He'll back me up every once in a while. But it's it's a much more open sound. Some songs don't work anymore. Other songs work better. Yeah. So now it's just about discovering the songs that are good to do live. It's one of my. Uh... It's one of the main reasons uh, the two bands I fell in love with uh, when I was in high school were uh, Blink-182 and Green Day. Okay, I was going to say Nirvana because they're as simple as it gets, right? Yes. Three piece and uh, Green Day as well. Yeah. And Blink's three as well. Oh, great. That's Blink's three. They're only three. Yeah. So right away, I'm like, simple. Keep there's something simple, about stupid. it. Yeah. If, if, you, if you got three or four guys who know what they're doing and, and just know how to fill that space, you, 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 got, you got the best possible scenario for a band. And uh, what's with the album? So the album is being worked on right now. It's a bit of a slow process just because I'm working with two different producers. I work out of CNS Studios, and then I work with this guy, Stryger, who does uh, Carl Wolf stuff. And I'm sort of going back and forth. I've been re-recording some stuff because I'm, I'm being hard on myself with this record. But I'm hoping by the fall it'll be ready. So we've got probably like six songs that are in really good shape. I want four more. Nice. Yeah. I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Thanks, and uh, to finish, just where can people find you? How can they listen to you? Uh, plug yourself. Sell yourself. Yeah, Tell yeah. the people I about Anakin. It's funny. I always forget to do that when I'm on stage, and I'm like, I never plug myself. You know, I never say where to go. Very easy to find me. Spotify, Anakin Slade. That's the best way to hear all my music. Plus, I got the royalties from that. So go and do that. <laughs> uh, on Twitter at Anakin Slade. On Instagram at Anakin Slade. A double N A K I N S L A Y D. And uh, you know YouTube, all all the all the standard stuff. I have a website, AnakinSlate.com. So, uh, but anyway, at the end of the day, Spotify is if you want to know the real Anakin Slate because it's a good representation. Because my top ten songs are peppered with the sports 
and my non-sports. So that's why I really push the Spotify because I think it's a good place to discover me. All right, cool. Check him out. Anakin Slade, thanks for coming in. Thanks, man. Let's do this again sometime. Mitch uh, Gallo with you with the Montreal's Finest Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening and be sure to tune in uh, next week when we have another special guest from Montreal. Oh, God. Why, you heard? Oh, because the... When just because no one was...